I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and make your way to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We will be reading three verses out of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We will begin reading in verse number 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 10, and we will read down through verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Ye, and remember what does ye mean? It means all of you, right? All of you. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom, excuse me, unto his kingdom and glory. The title of the message this morning is A Father's Focus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the time we could spend in your house today. Lord, we come standing in a righteous position before you because of the work that Christ Jesus performed on our behalf. We thank you that Jesus died for our sins and took our place at Calvary. And Lord, because of that, we no longer have to pay the penalty of everlasting damnation. We're not going to be separated from you for eternity because of Jesus, and we praise His name today. Lord, help us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to know how we are to conduct ourselves as parents, specifically as fathers, and that, Lord, to know that what we do and how we live is pleasing in Your sight. And Lord, I do pray that in our society today there still would be a, an emphasis placed on honoring fathers, on giving gratitude to fathers who uh, stick by the stuff and, Lord, reject their own desire for personal pleasantness and happiness and desire that we fulfill the role that the Lord has given us and that in that we find our pleasantness and our happiness. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts today. Lord, for those that would be in our midst that are not saved, I pray that you would save them. I pray that you would draw those that do know you closer to you. And Lord, today may we honor fathers and may we, as fathers, know how we are to live and walk. May we have a right focus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A father's focus. I say again, Happy Father's Day. It is still a day in our country set aside to honor fathers. I made that statement when we were preaching on Mother's Day. I make the same statement as it relates to Father's Day. Now, fellas, we haven't had this national day set apart to honor fathers as long as the ladies have had their day. Okay, You understand that in 1972, uh, you say, well, what good thing did Richard Nixon do? Well, we got Father's Day, right? We got Father's Day. Um, It is still good to know that there is a day set aside to honor fathers. This is right and proper. Let me just read to you one verse, and there are multiple verses in Scripture. But listen to this out of Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse number 16. 
Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. It is a commandment to honor our parents and specifically today we think about honoring fathers. What better way to honor fathers than to consider the role of fathers and the importance that fathers play from Scripture, from the Bible. Now in chapter number 2 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is dealing with his ministry to the Thessalonian church, and he is detailing aspects about his ministry. And in particular here, he is talking about and writing about his behavior and conduct amongst the Thessalonian believers, and why he, Silas, and Timothy ministered to them. And you say, well, okay, how, do we, how does uh, Silas and Timothy work into this? Well, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, you'll see that Paul, Timothy, and Silas were ministering to the Thessalonian church. And so when Paul writes in verse number uh, 10, he says, Ye are witnesses how we, you know, he says, how justly and how holy, justly, and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you. He's talking not only about himself, but he's talking about Silas or called Silvanus in Scripture and Timothy. And so Paul is, Paul is writing about why he, Silas, and Timothy ministered to the Thessalonians. And in particular, in our text verses that we're looking at, verses 10 through 12, he compares his behavior and Silas's and Timothy's behavior and their focus to that of a father. You can't miss that in verse number 11. Now, what was Paul's focus? And how was their behavior and their focus like that of a father? Well, that's what we want to discuss this morning. And in particular, we want to consider three aspects of Paul's writing, and by extension, teaching on a father's focus. Three aspects. First of all, in verse number 10... Paul writes about the purity of their behavior. The purity of their behavior. In verse number 11, Paul writes about the process by which they beseech. The process. And then in verse number 12, Paul writes about the purpose behind their actions. It is right to honor fathers. Well, we need to know what a right father is. And what a godly father is that is worthy of honor. So today we talk about a father's focus. Notice the first aspect of Paul's writing and teaching on a father's focus. We find it in verse number 10. It is the purity of their behavior. Now I want you to read verse 10 with me here. Notice in verse number 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Ye, that is the members of the church at Thessalonica... Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. We cannot talk about a father's proper focus without talking about the father's behavior. And remember, 
This all ties in with verse number 11. Paul is writing about their behavior. Paul points out their behavior and their conduct towards the Thessalonian believers or the Thessalonian church members. Now, Robertson's word pictures gives us further insight to what Paul is writing here. Listen to this quote from Robertson's word pictures. Paul calls the Thessalonians and God as witnesses to his life toward the believers devoid of any personal interest. He employs three common adverbs that show how holily toward God and how righteously toward men so that they did not blame him and his associates in either respect. So there is a reason for each adverb. And the three adverbs that uh, A.T. Robertson is referring to in verse number 10 are these. Holily, justly, and unblameably. These three adverbs are the way that Paul chooses to describe the purity of their behavior towards the Thessalonians. Now, this is especially humbling for fathers. We want to think about a father's focus and how we are to behave ourselves in front of our children. Uh, we're to behave ourselves the way that Paul said they behave themselves in front of the Thessalonian church. And I have to tell you that's convicting. And that's challenging. Let's talk about the purity of their behavior. Notice, first of all, Paul says the purity of their behavior was marked by holy, holiness or holily, if you will. Try to say that five times real fast. Holily. Paul writes, Ye are our witnesses in God also, how holily we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Now the word holily very simply means piously, piously. And you say, well, thank you for that, but what does piously mean? Well, here's a definition from Webster's Dictionary, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. This is a, this is a definition of the word pious. It means reverence and affection for God with due regard to sacred things or to the duties God has enjoined. Or, in other words, it is a reverence and a, an affection for God, and that reverence and affection for God leads us to carry out the duties that God has commanded us to carry out. Now, Paul here is writing to the Thessalonian believers, and he's saying that they behave themselves. Paul, Silas, and Timothy behave themselves... And the Thessalonian church members saw this, and God also witnessed this, that they were observing all of the duties of religion. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that they behave themselves holily. Now, as fathers, we are to observe all the duties that we have as a father. And by the way, when we, talk, when we think about... Paul's writing here and he says that ye are witnesses in God also about how Paul, Silas, and Timothy behaved. Remember what, remember what Solomon wrote, in, and it's in your bulletin, in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 26. What does Proverbs 23 verse 26 say? It says, Son, observe my ways. Look at how I live. There are some fathers 
that don't want their children to look at how they live, they say, I want you to do what I say, but not what I do. What a shameful example of a father. Fathers are not perfect, and we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But fathers are supposed to behave themselves in a way in which their children observe the way that they live and they understand that the father is living a pious, holy life. Fathers are to observe all the duties of a father. Now, what are the duties of a father? I get so sick and tired of people. Oh, I'm a tough guy. you got to explain how tough you are. If you have to explain how tough you are, you ain't tough. But you got to explain how tough you are. Here's the definition of a tough man. He accepts the responsibilities that God has given him. And that means that as a father, we are first of all selfless in providing for our children. Selfless. That means that we put our aspirations and our goals aside when they interfere with our role as a father. How many people put their their parents above their role of a father? They put their career above their role of a father. They put their pleasures above their role of a father. Shame on you. Shame on anybody that would do that. My heart was touched this week. We were driving back from, uh, I think we were driving back or either, either back or to uh, Alabama and we were listening to the radio and I was listening to a preaching uh, message on fatherhood and I can't tell you who the guy was that was preaching and I haven't heard him on the radio before. But he referenced, uh, he used an illustration uh, involving the grandson and the son of John Adams and John Quincy Adams. And I had not heard this before, so I came back and I looked it up, and sure enough, there's evidence of this. But uh, Charles Francis Adams was the grandson of John Adams and the son of John Quincy Adams. And Charles Francis Adams uh, served under Abraham Lincoln's administration as ambassador to Great Britain. And, and, And they discovered... Charles uh, Francis Adams, uh, his journal, and they also had the journal of his son. His son's name was Brooke Adams. And Brooke Adams had entered into his journal on a particular day when he was eight years old. He wrote, went fishing with my father the most glorious day of my life. Years later, they found Charles Francis Adams' diary. He also had journaled and wrote a note on that same particular day. It said, went fishing with my son, a day wasted. Is that not shocking to the senses? A day wasted. Brooke Adams would later go on, and throughout his life, for the next 40 years, he would talk about that day that he spent with his father fishing. Do you see... The opposite emphasis, the eight-year-old son. What a, the most glorious day of my life. And a guy who says, what a wasted day. You want to be tough? Be a man. Be a father. Be selfless in your actions. Who knows where our lives could take us? 
if we diverged from our responsibilities and our roles as a father. Fathers are to observe observe all the duties of a father. Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, you have observed how we live. We lived piously before you. We observed all the duties of our religion. Fathers are to observe all the duties of a father. We are to be selfless. We are to be selfless in providing safety and security and sustenance. And we are to preach the Word of God that would lead our children to know the way of salvation from the Holy Scriptures. We are to lead them in service to God. If you as a father have lived a selfless life, providing safety, security, sustenance, preaching the Word of God of salvation and leading your children in service to God, you have done your duty. And I commend you. Paul writes about the purity of their behavior. That they behave themselves holily or piously. And then notice, he says that they behave themselves honestly. Because he says that uh, that they were holily and justly living before them. Their behavior was justly. This means equitably or morally righteous and honest. It means to be honest and equitable in the sight of man and of God and not doing wrong to others. There are some men that live in this life and their life is is based upon doing wrong to others. Paul said, we behaved ourselves rightly before you. We were holy. We were pious. We behaved ourselves equitably. We did that which was honest, right, and fair. What kind of a father does not behave himself equitably or honestly before his children? I can't help but think about the scripture that Jesus is using in teaching a very important lesson. And you find these verses in Luke chapter number 11, verses 11 and 12, where the Lord uses this illustration to show how ridiculous it would be for a a father to behave himself unequitably or unrighteously or dishonestly toward his child. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Verse 12, Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Can you imagine that? Your children come to you and say, Dad, I'm hungry. Okay, let me fix you something up here. So you put together in the lunchbox a lunch and you give it to the child. The child's ready to eat, anxious to eat. And they open it up and there's not a sandwich in there. There's a snake. And there's not food in there. There's a scorpion. And there's a rock. (coughs) Can you eat a rock? Well, I remember that old children's book about the the rock soup, the stone soup. But... uh, who would do that to their child? Who does that? And the point that Paul is making is that they didn't behave themselves in such a way towards others. They didn't do wrong to others. They did right. You know what a dad's supposed to do? You know what a father's supposed to do? He's supposed to do right by his children. He's supposed to do right by his kids. He's supposed to see purity of behavior in his conduct. To walk holily, honestly, and then notice harmlessly harmlessly. In verse number 10 it says, 
unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Unblameably. This word means literally faultlessly or no cause for censure. Now, this doesn't mean that there is some way that we can attain perfection here in this life as Christians. Paul wasn't saying to the Thessalonian church that they were without sin. What he was saying is that they walked in a pious, uh, honest, and equitably morally righteous way, and there was no reason that anybody could bring any accusation against them. There was no cause for censure because they walked harmlessly before not only the Thessalonian believers, but before everyone. You know how a father is supposed to walk before his children? The same way. Harmlessly. Faultlessly. Giving no cause for censure. I, uh, and again, as a father, and you guys know Darlene and I, you know our story. We got married very young. Thankfully, the Lord saved us uh, early on. And, you know, our goal was to raise our children for the honor and glory of the Lord. And I mean that. Uh, I didn't view my family as some way of trying to obtain power and control over them. I wanted to do my duty unto the Lord and raise them as godly children and praying that the Lord would save them. And you know what we, what we do as fathers is we look at the scriptures that give us instruction on how we're supposed to be a father. And I can't tell you the many times that the Lord has pierced my heart over these verses found uh, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Colossians. How about this? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, in the training and discipline and religious education of the Lord. Paul repeats this thought in Colossians 3 and verse number 21, where he says to provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Listen. We as fathers are to walk in a way that is harmless before our children. We are to want to not only do them good, but we are to, to behave ourselves in a way to where our children, though they might not agree with our lifestyle, they might not agree with what we've done, but they can't look back and say, you know what, Dad abused me. Dad, did, Dad didn't tell me the truth. Dad was out for his own good. Dad only wanted to do what was good for him. No. There's no cause for censure. Now, let me ask you this, and you, you can write this down on a sheet of paper, you can raise your hand and you can try to tell me, and by the way, if you do so, I will make fun of you ridiculously, and I'll leave it on sermon audio so everybody can hear it. What father is perfect? Let me rephrase that. What human father is perfect? The heavenly father is perfect, but what father is perfect? And you can't name one. Because there is no father that is perfect. Yet, fathers who with all of their heart have desired to walk in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord such that their conduct is pure before their children. Our, our fathers that do so are not to be chided or censored when doing all they can for the best of their children. You can find faults with your father. You can, you know, I was thinking of dad this morning and you know, Dad passed away in 2010, and uh, I thank God for, for Dad. Uh, he wasn't a perfect dad. And, you know, I could sit down today and I could write out all the things that Dad did wrong. And what a miserable creature I would be to focus on all of the negativity instead of thinking about all the ways that the Lord blessed me by giving my, me my dad. 
God gave you the dad that he wanted you to have. He gave you the father that he wanted you to have. Was he perfect? No, not one. And yet, fathers, we are to behave ourselves in a way where we are harmless before our children. Where our children might not agree with us, and they might not choose the path that we have chosen, but at the end of the day, they look back and they say, you know what, Dad loved me, and he taught me the Word of God, and he wanted the best for me. We see in the Father's focus the first aspect, the purity of their behavior. Then notice in verse number 11, we see the second aspect of the Father's focus, the process by which they beseech. Now, let's read verse 11 again. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Now, what is Paul meaning to communicate? He's saying that the Thessalonian believers, in verse number 10, they observed their walk, that it was a pure walk before them. It wasn't perfect, but it was pure. And then he's saying that because they had a right testimony before them, they were able to preach and teach the Word of God to them, and this is how they did it. We see the process by which they beseech. This is the manner in which Paul, Silas, and Timothy would beseech the Thessalonians. And what was that manner? It was the same manner that a father uses with his children. Do you not notice that in verse number 11? As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Someone wrote this. The three participles in verse 11 give three phases of the minister's preaching. Exhorting, encouraging, or consoling, witnessing, or testifying. And so it is. Paul is saying, this is the process by which we presented the Word of God to you. Well, guess what? The same processes by which Paul and Silas and Timothy preached the Word of God to the Thessalonians are the same processes by which a father focuses on what God would have him focus on in raising his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's the same thing. We know that because Paul wrote that in verse number 11. Now notice the process by which they beseeched. First of all, they exhorted. It says, as you know, <coughs> excuse me, as you know how we exhorted. Now the word exhort here means to beseech, to call near, to invite, or to invoke. And literally, Paul in preaching the word of God would exhort the Thessalonian believers to live a life that is a righteous, godly life. He would exhort them about what to do and what not to do. And I say to you that fathers are to exhort children in all things righteous. Now, turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. I mentioned Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 26 a little bit earlier. But I want you to notice now how Solomon exhorts his sons to follow a righteous path. He gives them warnings and exhortations in this. Notice Proverbs chapter 23, and I'd like for us to begin reading at verse number 19. Notice Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. What's he doing? He's exhorting him. In verse 20, 
Be not amongst wine-bibbers, amongst riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall close a man with rags. What's he doing? He's exhorting him about leading a life that is sold out to pleasure. You see people today, they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and they're still living like they're a teenager, where their whole existence uh, consists about them going out and getting wasted and all of the idiocy that follows. And those are usually the people that you see riding, you know, I saw it the other day, I was out for a run. And I see a 40-year, what I presume to be about a 40-year-old guy riding a BMX bike. Come on, man. It's a little late for you in life to be riding a bicycle. Solomon is exhorting his children and he's saying, Listen, be wise about how you carry yourself. Stay away from drunkards and gluttons. And then notice verse number 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not. What's the truth? Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He's talking about the holy word of God. He says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. Now watch. Here's more exhortation. For a whore is a deep ditch. And a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth and waiteth for a prey. And increaseth the transgressors among men. What's he doing? He's exhorting. And then following, and we won't read these verses 29 through 35. He talks about the sure lunacy of getting drunk. And tarrying long at the wine. And, uh, beloved, listen, you'll never hear me get up and boast about how I drink beer. You'll never hear me do that. I think it's a shame, and I think it's a travesty. And so, we see here that Paul is saying to the Thessalonian believers, here's the process by which we preach the word to you. Here's the process by which we beseech you. First of all, we exhorted you. And then notice, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and verse number 11, notice he says, we not only exhorted you, but we encouraged you. We encouraged you. Notice he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted every one of you. Now the word comfort here literally means in the Greek to encourage or to console. You know, in difficult times, instead of crushing the child's spirit, the father should be lifting up the child's spirit. How is a father supposed to encourage or comfort? Well, a father should encourage and comfort in the same areas as the mother comforted. And we studied in, on Mother's Day how that mothers are supposed to comfort. We looked at Isaiah chapter 66 and how the Lord said, I'm going to comfort you as one whom his mother comforts. Well, recall, how does a mother comfort? She comforts in faults. When the child is distressed over their condition before the Lord and they've sinned against the Lord, the, child, the mother's supposed to preach the Word of God and say, there's forgiveness with the Lord. The father's supposed to do the same, not only when faults are prominent, but in failure. The last thing you want to have happen when you have not succeeded is to have somebody in kick, come by and kick you when you're down. And how hurtful is it when it's your own parent and your father that does so? Shame on fathers that would do that. That's disgusting. 
You don't crush the child. You lift the child up. And how about when the child is in the midst of fear? The father is supposed to, to, supposed to encourage during that time. Now listen, remember we're talking about parsing the Word of God rightly. And when I talk about encouraging and comforting, I'm not talking about coddling. I'm not talking about, you know, tending to the child's needs in such a way that it is unreasonable and you cripple the child for life. Listen, you're going to have to face your fears. And fathers have to encourage children as they face their fears. And certainly, lastly, in the area of the future. What does the future hold? Fathers are supposed to encourage their children to trust in the Lord and follow the Lord as far as what the future holds. And not to lean to their own understanding. I found this quote. You may, you may tune me out after I read this quote when you hear from it's, who it's from. But I thought it was rather interesting. I want you to listen to this quote. The strongest, toughest men all have compassion. They're not heartless and cold. You have to be man enough to have compassion to care about people and about your children. You know who said that? Denzel Washington. Denzel, you probably never hear me quote Denzel Washington again. But you know, from the mouth of the worldly comes sage wisdom and advice. To have a heart that encourages your children. It doesn't just pile on with the children. Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't get up and preach the Word of God in such a way that it was just a hammer, constantly hammering at people. He encouraged them through the Word of God. And uh, you folks weren't here last week, but I preached on out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And do you know the problem is that when we don't apply wisdom properly, we say, well, I'm supposed to be like the snake. Well, you're not supposed to be like the snake in every way. You're not supposed to be like the snake. What does a snake do when you stumble upon a snake and you, and you alarm it? Won't a snake bite you? We're not supposed to be biters. We're supposed to be encouragers. We're supposed to be those that are wise as serpents. Yes, we understand the times in which we live, but we are, we are harmless as doves. I love the scripture that talks about how that God gives us the model by which we are to comfort others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. We are supposed to be an encouragement to others. Remember the elevator principle. Don't take people down, especially your children. Lift them up. And so we exhort, we encourage and they were able to do all of this because they did this as eyewitnesses. As eyewitnesses. Now watch. You say, well, where are you getting that, brother? Well, watch. Look with me. Verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. And charged every one of you. Do you know what that word charge is? It literally means to testify. To testify. It is a verb that means to conjure or appeal by something sacred. So it doesn't just mean what you would normally think of when we say, I charge you to behave in a certain way. No, it's talking about their ability to charge 
because they were eyewitnesses as to what they were testifying to. They themselves were witnesses as to what God had revealed in the truths of the gospel. And because they were eyewitnesses, they were able to implore the Thessalonian believers. And you know what? It works the same way with fathers. As fathers, we testify as to what God has done, what God can do, and what God will do. And you know how we do that? Because we've seen it. We've seen it. We have seen how that God has met the need time and time again. We have seen how that God has given strength to be a testimony to Him, even in difficult times. And yes, as Brother Mark preached when he was here the last time out of Job chapter 13 and verse number 15, we will trust you regardless. We will trust you even if it means the giving of my own life. We've seen the goodness of God. Have you seen the goodness of God? Think about this. What can you testify to your children about? Do you have anything spiritual that you can testify to your children about? Can you impart any spiritual reality? Can you say, you know what, God, we had this great need and, and man, we were struggling and we prayed unto God and we trusted God and God met that need. Maybe He didn't meet it the way that you thought He would meet it, but He met the need. Something's wrong if you can't, if you can't testify. One has to be a partaker in order to testify. Now, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture uh, in the Bible, Joshua chapter 24. And we always focus on verse number 15 of Joshua 24. And we're not going to take the time to read these verses prior, but I would ask you to go back and read Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 13. We are going to read verse 14. But go back and read Joshua 24, verses 1 through 13. Because you know what Joshua is doing? He is testifying to how the Israelites had personally been eyewitnesses to God's goodness towards them. How that He had provided for them. How that He had defeated kings of the earth on their behalf. How that He had given them lands that they did not work for, that they did not till that they did not plant the, the vineyards and the, 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 the fields that were uh, going to yield harvest. God had done all of this for them. And Joshua is saying, we have seen all of this. We are eyewitnesses. And because they were eyewitnesses, Joshua is able to exhort and encourage the people of God to serve God. Now watch. Look at Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Did you see that? Now therefore. Why? Because of what went before. Of all that Joshua had recited. Now therefore. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. By the way, that's the river Jordan. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's he doing? He's exhorting and encouraging because he had been an eyewitness of God's goodness and mercy. A, a father ought to exhort, encourage their children because we've been eyewitnesses as to what the Lord can, has, and will do. And then notice the third aspect. 
We're speaking this morning in honor of fathers and a father's focus. And we're looking at Paul's words to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10-12. through 12. We now reach the third and final aspect, the purpose behind their actions. Read verse number 12. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into His kingdom and glory. Beloved, this is the purpose that Paul was driving at. It is the purpose for which every father must drive at. What is your goal as a father? If your goal as a father is to see your child grow up and be ultra successful in this world and you leave God out of the equation, you are a failure as a father. doesn't matter how much money your child makes or how much prestige or honor or power your child grows up to have in this world if he's separated from Christ it means nothing Paul was not trying to exert power and control over the Thessalonian believers he was simply trying to get them to see God and to live for God that was the purpose he says that why are we doing all this answer that she would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Now notice the purpose behind their actions first of all is that they would live a life pleasing to God. He says that she would walk worthy of God. What is it to walk worthy of God? Because none of us are worthy of God. We, we are not in and of ourselves worthy of God. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The psalmist writes. What is man that God would even think about him? And so Paul is not saying that we have to conjure up some worthiness in and of ourselves. But he's saying that because God has saved you, you are responsible to live a life that is pleasing to God. That you would walk worthy of God. Alexander McLaren, the great preacher, wrote, again, when we say walk worthy of God, we mean two things. One, do after His example, and the other, render back to Him what He deserves for what He has done to you. That's what we're talking about. Living a life that is pleasing to God. We joke about this. Uh, I think my family's probably sick of it by now after all these years but I always joke with you about uh, a few good men you know and I always go back in the middle of a text you know somebody will say something and then I'll I'll invoke the Tom Cruise Jack Nicholson scene you know where Colonel Nathan Jessup goes into his spiel about you know you question you bask in the very freedom which I provide and then have the audacity to question the manner in which I provide it I would rather you just said thank you well you know what a thank you would be enough, wouldn't it? Fathers, would not a thank you be enough? And Paul is saying, look, live a life that is pleasing to God. Just say thanks to God. Say thanks to God for all that He has done for you. In Colossians chapter number 1, I want you to look back to Colossians. If you're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's the very uh, book prior to 1 Thessalonians. Colossians chapter 1, I want you to notice verses 9 through 11. You say, well, how do I live a life pleasing to God? What is it that I do that is walking worthy of God? Well, Paul lays it out here for us. Notice Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now watch. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And then he describes it. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Let's go ahead and read verse 12. 
giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You say, how do I walk worthy of the Lord? How do I live a life pleasing unto the Lord? And I say to you, if you follow Colossians 1 verses 9 through 11, that's a pretty good way. And Paul says, here's why we've preached to you. Here's why we've led a pure life before you. That ye would walk worthy of the Lord. So live a life pleasing to God. And live a life in submission to the King. Notice Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. God has called us unto His kingdom and glory. Now listen, if there's a kingdom, that means there's a king. We don't have a kingdom in the United States. Joe Biden is not our king. Neither is Donald Trump or anyone else that would be elected president. We don't have a king. What is Paul saying? He's saying that you Thessalonian believers, you have been saved by the grace of God. And because you have been saved by the grace of God, you have been delivered into Christ's kingdom. He is king. And because you are delivered into His kingdom, you are to give all glory to Him for you are going to be with Him for all eternity and you will be with Him in eternal glory. That's what he's saying. He says, Who hath called you into His kingdom and glory. We read verse 12 of Colossians chapter number 1. Now let's read verse 13. It all follows logically. In verse 13, he says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Jesus is King. He's Lord. We don't need to make Him Lord. He's already Lord. Now if you can lead a life where you are not in submission to the King, you have a problem. You need to examine yourself. You need to check up on yourself. You need to find out whether or not you really are a subject of the King. Now, all of this that had gone before, we've talked about a father's focus the three aspects of Paul's teaching on a father's focus the purity of the behavior the process by which they beseech and the purpose behind their actions you know what all of this will do for a father it'll bring him great joy to know that your children have listened to the word of God and are walking according to the word of God will give the father a father the greatest joy that he can have in his life. Listen, you say, man, my son grew up and he was a football player and he played for, you know, the, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, what, what better, how, how much better can it get, okay? Uh, well, I'll tell you how much better it can get. I'd rather have a child that grew up and worked at a factory and said, you know what, I know the Lord and I'm saved by the grace of God and somebody who's serving the Lord. I'd rather have that than a thousand Ohio State Buckeye football players. Paul said it. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote about it. And John, and I'll close with this verse, John knew it and he preached it and wrote it to the church. The Father's greatest delight is what? Here it is. 3 John, there's only one chapter in the book of 3 John. 3 John verse number 4 I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What a great joy for the Father. There are three aspects of Paul's teaching on a father's focus. The period of the behavior, the process by which they beseech, and the purpose behind their actions. May today, as we focus on Father's Day, 
May we thank the Lord for the fathers that we have. And those of us that are here that are fathers, may we be selfless in our actions. May we prove what it is to be a real man. And that means to put your own wants and desires aside and do what God has called you to do. And you know what? If you do that, you will find the greatest joy, the greatest contentment, the greatest peace that you will ever experience in life. A father. Is there any greater title that a man can have than father? Let's pray.